All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, worship team. Hey, guys, it's exciting to be here. Next week is going to be our kickoff for our Shoreline Church. It's an exciting time. If you're visiting with us, we want to say, how are you doing? Thanks for coming. I'm in the middle of a series right now on David. David is a, uh, one of the main, main uh, guys that we want to talk about these next few weeks. I'm clicking this clicker. There it is. Awesome. Do I point it this way wrong, or do I point it this way? This looks cool if I do it this way. Okay. So a few weeks ago, I talked about David defeating Goliath. At 15 years old. I mean, just, just let me say that again. At 15 years old. As a shepherd kills a warrior. And then uh, two weeks ago I did a lesson on about Abigail and David. They were, it was Mother's Day so I had to get a woman in the sermon. You know how that is. So this story I'm going to tell you is after Goliath and before Abigail. J David's about 22 years old. And here's the theme. There are going to be times in your life, like David's life, when you are angry. When you are isolated. And you feel all alone. And when that happens to someone, the ways of God are unappealing. And the ways of God become irrelevant. When we're angry, when we're isolated and when we're afraid. These conditions right there have the potential to undermine even the most dedicated disciple among us when they're mixed together or when they're by themselves. Because these conditions cause us to plow through our guardrails morally, plow through our guardrails relationally, financially, professionally, and either one or, or all three in combination cause, can, can may cause and will cause and, and most likely does cause a lot of regrets. And why is that? If I were to ask you to stand up and tell me one of your greatest regrets of your life, I bet that had something to do with anger, fear, or being isolated. It just makes us do things that we would not normally do. And when we feel these things, these these emotions of anger and isolation, we oftentimes are feel compelled to do something. And oftentimes, we do things that are wrong, not right. We start to rely on our instinct, not on our spiritual nature. We make, we make and create more regret, not less regret. We make things more complicated, not less complicated. And that is the story that, of David that we're going to talk about. David had two... Um, Colossal mistakes. One was when he was 50 years old, when he saw Bathsheba, and we all know that story, Bathsheba, it was Uriah's wife, and we're going to get to that story. But this story is when he was 22 years old, seven years after he defeats Goliath. And what's going on is that David, at 15, goes down to the valley of Elah, you know, he defeats his Goliath. He instantly becomes a legend. He's famous. They're writing songs about him. They're singing about him. Everyone's going crazy. And King Saul realizes that David has a lot of influence. And because Saul is so insecure, he keeps his eye on David. He's the untrusting of David. 
And so what Saul does, he invites him into his palace. Go, come, don't, don't go home. Stay with me. In fact, when he's in his palace, David becomes best friends with his son named Jonathan. And they're buddies. And then Saul goes, well, how do I, how do I control David? Well, I'm going to have him marry one of my daughters. So he goes, David, why don't you marry one of my daughters? And back then, that's how they did things back then. I was dating. Hey, you're going to marry her. And David goes, well, no, I don't want to. At 15, he's like, no, it's okay. I'm not worthy. And everyone's like, whoa, you told the king no. You're even more awesome. God, how amazing can you be? And so Saul's like, I have to get rid of this guy. So he offers his other daughter, who David, you know, David actually loves. And he, goes, he offers her, because if you want to marry her, you got to go on this, on this mission. And the mission was crazy. The mission was designed to kill David. He's all, if, he's all, I better not kill David because it might look bad, but I'm going to have the Philistines kill David. So he tells him, you have to kill all these Philistines, and then I'll let you marry my daughter. So David goes, and he wins. And he keeps winning. And he wins, 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 no matter what. He's just winning. He wins, wins, no matter what. God's blessing him. And Saul's going nuts. Saul's going crazy. Because Saul wants him dead. Because Saul doesn't trust him. And so for the next seven years, David is in favor with King Saul, out of favor. Sometimes Saul wakes up and throws a spear at him, and David runs out of the house and leaves. And he goes, come back, come back. Oh, it's, it's going to be okay. For seven years, there's this crazy relationship. Back and forth. And then one time, he gets so mad at David, he gets so insecure, he sends soldiers to kill David. But his wife, Michael, you know, notifies him, and he escapes, and, and Saul's just so mad. And then they're having dinner, and he goes, and he goes to Jonathan, where's David? And John's like, uh, he's doing something else. He goes, why are you? And, and so Saul begins to lose it because David stopped showing up for dinner. You know, he, he's throwing spears at him. So he stopped showing up. And Saul's wondering why he's not at dinner. And so this is where we pick up the story. And this is where Saul loses it. And he says... There it is. Saul's anger, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Talking about one of his wives. There's some issues there. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame. And to the shame of the mother who bore you. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Now, Saul already knows, he's been told already, that your kingdom's coming to an end. It's over. But Saul wants to keep it going. And the only way to keep it going is to kill David, because he knows David was anointed. And David will not become king, because he wants to become king, and he wants John to become king, because he's so insecure. And so Saul is livid. And so Jonathan, he, gets, he leaves the table and he, goes, he finds David and says, Hey, David, you know, you have to leave the city. In fact, you got to leave the country. In fact, my dad wants to kill you. You have to run. David is 22 years old and he's suddenly afraid for his life. He's alone. 
He's been rejected by the man who he has risked his life for again and again and again. And he just not only leaves the area, he eventually leaves the country. David did what we usually do when we're afraid, when we're alone. We run. We run. We don't run toward God. We run away from God. David panics, just like us. And we, we, read, this, we read this in the Bible, we wonder, why is David doing that? You know, we're reading it all, all these years later. What, what's going on with David? And we start to really question why he's doing that. It's natural to panic. It's natural for us to panic when we feel abandoned, when we're angry, when we're afraid. That's what happened to David. And so David, he leaves. And he goes to this little area called Nob. And it's important you know that because Nob is where the priests set up the tabernacle because they didn't own Jerusalem back then. They owned parts of the, the area of, Jude, of Judah. And wherever it was safe, they would put the tabernacle there. That's the tent. That's the priest. That's the Ark of the Covenant. That's the Ten Commandments. That's the Jar of Manna. That's Aaron's staff. God was there. And so the, the, the priest thought it was safe to put the tabernacle in Nob. So it was there. So David goes to Nob. And he goes to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech is the high priest. He's the guy in charge. So he goes to Nob. And, you, and God's like right there. He's like outside the, the little area where they're talking. And this is what happens. Ahimelech trembles when we met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Because usually when David traveled, he traveled with a thousand warriors and horses and people that cooked him food. I mean, he was the man. He led, a, 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 he, led a, he commanded a thousand warriors. He doesn't just show up alone. So here's the hymn like, oh, this is weird. Why are, are you here? What's, what's going on? Why, where's your people? He's obviously scared. Because it just got really weird. And so David answers the Himalaya, the priest. The king sent me on a mission. And no one's supposed to know about this mission. And uh, as my men, you know, I told him to meet me at a certain place. David lies to Ahimelech. David's against lying. He wrote stuff about don't be deceitful. But he's lying. I mean, he can literally walk over to the Ark of the Covenant and see God. And he goes to the priest and he lies. Why does he lie? Well, because he's afraid. He's alone. He's isolated. And so much for the ways of God when we're in that state. And that lie would cost Ahimelech and his household their lives. Like I said, it was one of the two biggest mistakes David ever made. And so now then, what do you have on your hand? You got any bread? Can you find something for me to eat? And he was going like, what is going on? You're the bodyguard of the king. You don't come here looking for food. 
You know, you're hungry? You're the captain of the bodyguard. What do you mean you don't have any food? What? It's completely befuddling to Ahimelech. And David just keeps the lie going. And so Ahimelech tells him, hey, you know what? I, don't, I have bread, but it's not ordinary bread. The bread I have, it goes into the tabernacle. And it's, we do it once a week on the Sabbath. We switch the bread out because we honor God by having the bread of the presence. And that's a foreshadow of Jesus being the bread of life. So it's in there. God doesn't really eat it because he doesn't you know, eat the bread. So the bread that's left there for the next week, they take it and the priests usually eat it because it's consecrated and, because, and they've been ceremonially clean. And so David's like, I'll take that. And then later on in the New Testament, Jesus quotes back this story when the disciples were pulling wheat from the field and eating on the Sabbath. Jesus reminds them of this very story where David ate the consecrated bread. And so he eats the bread. Because God didn't eat it, right? And so, he gives him the bread. And so David has this in his mind that he's scared, he's alone, he's panicking. And so one lie becomes more lies. And he lies to get food. He lies. What ha- what's going on? What's happened? What I want to know is, what happened to the David that, that said, in, in God I put my hope all day long. He is my refuge. He is our What happened to that David? Well, he was scared. He was alone. He was angry. And there's the story. So then he goes, he goes, thanks for the food. And he's like, um, do you have a sword? Do you have a spear? Um, I haven't brought my sword or any of the weapons because the king's mission was so urgent. Ahimelech's like, David, you're the most famous warrior in the nation. You have no sword and no food, and you look like you haven't slept for days. And this is where in the story, if you're watching it in a movie, this is where they cue the gladiator music. You hear hear it because Ahimelech says this. The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. Can you imagine that drama? David's lying through his teeth. I need food. I don't have a sword. Is there a sword? And and all of a sudden, the visual aid, the reminder what God has done in his life shows up. He has the actual sword of Goliath. The sword that he used to behead the giant. The sword that that he used to cut off his head. The moment in time where he says, I trust God. God will kill you. God is in charge. This is God's battle. What happened to that David? And here is God reminding David, remember this? Can you imagine the priest bringing out the sword and all these memories coming back of David? Just seeing that sword. Where he saw thousands of soldiers lined up for battle. And he went out there with this sling and he kills Goliath. And he uses that sword to cut off Goliath's head. And he carries Goliath's head all day long. The moment he trusted God, when the odds were against him. When he was scared, he trusted. When he was alone, he trusted. And now David's different. What happened to David? What happened to our, to our hero? And so all, what happened to the, the, the back in time, this picture that we remember of the battle is the Lord's. He'll give you into our hands. Remember that, David? God is awesome. God's in control. I trust God. 
But that's not the David we see anymore. Because when you have that combination of feeling alone, angry, and afraid, you, 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 you start to think irrationally. You actually start to think on your instincts rather than your spiritual side. Fear, anger, isolation. I love this story because that's us. We get scared and we do dumb things. We get angry and we do dumb things, right? And then when you feel alone, I, don't, I'm a, I feel alone, no one understands me. Then we do even dumber things. That's what we do. These three giants have the potential to make us forget our defeated giants in our lives. These three giants have the potential to make us forget what God has done in our past. These three giants have the potential to make us rely on our instincts. That's what they do. That's why I love the story because when I read the story of David, you got to love the Bible. It's so rich. I mean, who would have thought Goliath would be there, right? Who would have thought that? The Bible's so rich because our lives intersect with the Bible. So, let's continue our story. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed, by the way, in the valley of Elah, is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Give it to me. What's interesting about when we, when we read stories like this and we, we look around our relationships, it's, we see this in other people. We go, well, he's angry. He's going to make a bad decision. Oh, he's isolated. Oh, he's... We see it in their lives so clearly. You know where we don't see it? In our own lives. You ever find that interesting? Like I can say, oh yeah, you're scared. Be careful, bro. But I can't see it in me. You ever find that interesting in the story? When I read the story, I'm going like, it's so, David, what are you doing? David, don't lie to the priest. David, but it's so hard to look in the mirror. It's so hard. Why don't we see it in ourselves? You want to know why? Because we, for some reason, we convince ourselves that my situation is different. You don't understand. It's different. David thought the same thing. Because we start to think, if God were really with me, why would this be happening to me? Because then it makes it different. And here's what I learned about being a disciple of Jesus. Over 23 years, I've learned this. It is so easy to trust God when we have nothing to trust him with. It is so easy. It is so easy to trust God when we have nothing to trust him with and nothing to trust him for. You know, when I was young, it was so easy to go to church. Special missions, take it all. God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll sell the car that my parents bought me. I'll sell all my clothes at a garage sale. I'll do anything. 22 years old, selling stuff. I was selling army equipment for like a dollar. I was selling, I was selling Gore-Tex jackets for five bucks. They're like $200. Because I'll do anything for the Lord because I'm young. It's easy to surrender your life. It's harder to trust him 
when the things that we value begin to slip away. You know, as your kids get older, you feel like they're slipping away, like, I can no longer control them. What is, I feel alone. I feel angry. I feel isolated. Because they start having their own opinions and convictions. They know, I disagree, Mom. I disagree, Dad. Teen, teen ministry. I do what I want now. You're supposed to think like me and act like me and breathe like me and read like me. You're not supposed to have your own thoughts. And the value of control is slipping away. And for some of us, the value of, our, of some, some of the things in our church that we held dearly, some of our church, our church culture, uh, it can't change because if it changes, it'll make me feel isolated. We start to get weird because we don't want church, church culture to change. We want to keep it in the 1970s. We want to have the 1990s culture. If we stay that way, church, we're never going to convert anybody young. I mean, when, when I saw that you can text your contribution, I was befuddled last week. I'm like, what? How? What? How do you even do that? Well, we got to put it up there because these kids are growing up. They've never seen a checkbook. They don't know what a checkbook is. And I'm like, who's going to steal my information online? I'm all freaking out. They're like, it's out there, dude. They'll take it if they want it. Just do it. I'm like, the things that I value, the things that we value begin to slip away. And that's when you feel angry. That's when you feel afraid. Not when you were young. I don't give you anything. Now, now do we trust. Now do we see God. When the things that we value seem to be slipping away right before our eyes. And David takes this sword and then he leaves the country. You know where, this is where David's at. Do you know where he goes? you know what country he goes to? He goes to the land of the Philistines. That's where he goes. And you know what city in the Philistines he went to? He went to the city of Gath. Do you know who's from Gath? Goliath, who he killed and cut off his head, is from Gath. And you know what he's carrying in his hand? Goliath's sword that he used to cut off their champion's head. And he shows up. In their country, with Goliath's sword. This is just crazy. That's why you got to read the Bible. Because you couldn't make this up. He goes to the country, goes to the enemy, kills their champion, takes his sword, and he says, Hey, can I join your army? Can I join your army? And they're going like, wait a minute. They're all talking, uh, that's David. He didn't kill thousands. The song says he killed tens of thousands of my friends. And they're like... Hmm. And so David gets scared because they realize they're on to him. He realizes, bad move. So what does David do? He panics. So David starts acting crazy. He finds a door. He starts scratching doors. He just starts scratching and scratching doors. And he, he starts to drool. He's drooling and scratching and acting like he's insane. Because he really is insane this morning to go to the land of the Philistines, to go to Gath with Goliath's sword. He goes, oh man, I'm in trouble. And he acts insane. And then Achish, the king, the commander of the, of the city goes, he's crazy. I, I have a lot of crazy guys in my army. I don't need another one. He goes, David, get out of here. And so David runs to where? To a cave. 
You know where the high school students go when they're mad? They go to their room? They go to their cave, right? They run. Where do men go? We go to the cave. Because we can be silent. We can be quiet. And we can kill you with our silence in our cave. Because I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't want to talk for a couple days. And he goes and he lives in a cave. That's what he does. This is why you should read the Bible. It's a really amazing story. And these stories are absolutely awesome. And so there is David, afraid, isolated, angry, living in a cave. And you know who comes to visit him? Other warriors who are just as sad and discontented. So he gains an army of 400 living in a cave. He gets some of the saddest soldiers show up going, David, I'm isolated, I'm alone, and I'm angry. Can I join you? Come on! So he he has this army of 400 guys who are just mad. Then David wakes up one day and goes, you know what? I'm going to go inquire of God. I'm going to go visit a priest so I can talk to God and get some direction. The problem was the damage was done. The damage was done. When, when David went to visit Ahimelech, he saw someone there that belonged to the palace of Saul. It was Saul's chief shepherd. And he saw David and Ahimelech talking. And his name is Doag. And Doag goes back to Saul and he tells Saul what he saw. And he tells Saul this. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. And he also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. He was aiding and abetting David Saul. Because Doag's motivation is clear when I read this. He wanted to get in the king's favor. He's just a shepherd guy. But I want to tell on David. And so he does. And so Saul calls Ahimelech and his whole household. And he says, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies and wait for me as he does today? I mean, why would you do this? My son Jonathan is against me. My daughter's against me. Now my, my chief priest is against me? I mean, Saul's starting to go crazy. And he will like answers the king. He says, you of all your serv- who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law? I mean, come on, man. He's the captain of your bodyguard, man. He's highly respected. He's in your household. Was that the day, that, was that the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family. For your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. Because David lied to him. So he's like, what? It's David. I'm going to help him. He's with you. He's your boy. He's your son-in-law. Of course I'm helping him. I'm always helping your palace people. And Saul, because he's going nuts. He says, you will surely die, Ahimelech. You and your whole family. Saul's paranoid. Saul's afraid. And Saul is crazy. And so then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. This is a moment of great awareness for some people. The king's official were unwilling to raise a hand 
to strike the priest of the Lord. We'll kill your prisoners of war. We'll kill your enemies. We'll kill people who rob you. But we are not going to lift a hand against the priest of the Lord. We're just not going to do that. That's crazy. And they say no. But Doag, on the other hand, I'll do it. So King Saul, so King Saul says, go ahead. And Doag kills 85 priests that day. But Saul wasn't finished. Saul goes back to Nob, where Ahimelech's from. And he sends Doag there. He says, kill every man, every woman, every teen, every child, and every infant. Every donkey, every cattle you see, kill it. And Doag goes, I'll get it done. And the slaughter was brutal. Very few people survived the slaughter at Nob. One of the sole survivors of that massacre was one of the sons of Ahimelech. And he runs to the cave where David is. And he falls down and tells David the entire story. I mean, he's listening to what happened to the Ahimelech and he, he starts to realize he's dead because of me. He's dead because I lied. He's dead because I panicked. Not only him, but his family's dead. And David is broken. How do we know he's broken? Because he says this, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. That's what broken people sound like. You know what people sound like who are not broken? Well, it's Saul wasn't chasing me. And if I, you know, I got left, you know, I risked my life all these years and he mistreated me. I needed food. He had food. And you start to make excuses for your life. You're not broken. It's a good lesson because this is the man that they say is after God's own heart. This is him. Because he lies, a whole town was butchered. Why does the Bible describe me as a man after God's own heart? I'm just like, that hurts my head. It hurts my head sometimes. But you know what I realized? It's because David was breakable. At every moment of his life, every stage when he made a mistake, he was broken. And that's a man after God's own heart. It's the people that aren't broken. It's the people who refuse to be broken. It's the people who want to make excuses for their lives. They're not broken and they'll never be that person after God's own heart because they're not willing to be broken. This is us. This is you. You will have great victories and you will have great failures. But I hope you have responsibility for your life. Where you don't make excuses because that's how David built the reputation after a man, after God's own heart. Because he allowed himself to be broken. You know, he was one of the very few kings that allowed the law to break him. 
Most kings, when they broke the law, they changed the law. Not David. It broke him. I'm responsible. We can connect ourselves to these stories because we've done things out of fear. We've done things that are regretful and we've done it when we're isolated. When we felt abandoned, we've made mistakes. And we act in ways that are contrary to God because we've been in that state. So here's my question. Where, what is your anger right now? What is your isolation and what is your fear causing you to consider that you've never considered before? Sometimes you start considering, I'm leaving this church because I feel alone. No one understands me or I'm scared or I'm angry. And we start making these, we start considering these options that are contrary to God. But I want to, I want to encourage you that we can learn a lot from David's life by taking responsibility for our own life. I love that. I'm responsible for the death of your whole family. And then he takes care of, of Ahimelech's son. He pulls him in. Come stay with me. When you're broken, you start to see clearly. You start to act confidently again. And you're able to walk humbly. The unbroken can't see clearly. They, they don't act confident. They act arrogantly, not confidently. And the unbroken are, don't walk humbly. And this is where we can really see David as a man. You know, I used to think for so many years, David, a man after God's own heart, he's way up here. He's actually down here with us. He, he's, he does the very same things that we do. And this is why I want to talk about David because it's important for us that we see clearly. We act confidently and we walk humbly with God. Because those three giants can take down the most devout among us. So I look forward to telling you more stories about David. And I want to encourage you, read your Bible. The stories are incredible. I mean, I wish they had little, little CDs, you know, on the side of the Bible that plays the dramatic music. This is dramatic. And it's amazing. And with that, we'll see you at our kickoff next week. I'm going to bow, say a prayer for our service, and we'll close out.